This is Fostering Conversations with Utah Foster Care, where we have insightful conversations about parenting for bio, foster, adoptive, or blended families to better understand the experiences we all face as families. Hello, Utah families. Today we're going to talk about a topic that's near and dear to my heart. Um, I'm Deborah Lindner, Director of Communications at Utah Foster Care, and um, my colleague and co-host, Liz Rivera, who's Director of Education with Utah Foster Care. And today, the topic is Words Matter. Um, Here at Utah Foster Care, we talk about the words we use. We try to model them about foster, fostering, adoption, um, how we refer to the children, how we refer to um, their families, our family. This is all something I think that a lot of foster families uh, hear about from the very beginning in training, don't you think, Liz? Absolutely. One of the things that I always stressed when I was training is that we, we don't call the kids foster kids. Um, we call if we have to reference where they are, we talk about them as kids or children in care, uh, because it's where the children are. It's not what the children are. And so we we from the very beginning, and and even before that, that first phone call families make, we we reference the children as children in care and not foster children. And that's something we continue to model throughout training. Right. And when whenever I know I'm talking to the news media, I try to emphasize to them not to call the kids foster kids and um, to be very cognizant that that is a label that we don't want to put on them. So, Liz, why don't you we have two guests today. Why don't you introduce uh, one of our guests who is coming to us from the cold Midwest? That's right. The icy, snowy Ohio. Uh, we're so grateful to have China Darrington with us today. So China, I'm going to read um, her bio, and I'm, I'm actually editing it a little bit just, just for time, but we'll put the full bio on um, the webpage associated with this episode. And I told China when I met her last week that after reading her bio, I kind of felt like I was meeting a rock star because she really is um, a rock star in, in the area of, of the world that she's, that she's inhabiting. So China, is a, China Darrington is a mother of two children. Um, she is strongly committed to helping parents overcome complex substance abuse dis- disorders while helping children stay safe, safe and together with their families whenever possible. When China was a young mother with a child in out-of-home care, she worked to overcome her own challenges with substance use and started her path to recovery. She was later able to successfully reunite with one child, and she worked to make an adoption plan for her second child. This led to her involvement with the child welfare training system, where she has provided critical trainings and helped many others to understand addiction and create strong paths for families to address the complex issues of addiction, mental health, and trauma. China received the 2019 award from the National Alliance of Mental Illness, also known as NAMI, and she is a recipient of the Journey of Hope Award from the president of the Ohio Multi-County Development Corporation, which provides recovering housing in Northeast Ohio. She also received the 2017 Trainer of the Year Award for Ohio Child Welfare Training Program. As a trainer, I really, I recognize and honor that one particularly. So, um, and, and I don't know if you noticed just in that, the little bit I read from her intro, um, she, she uses the phrase substance use disorders. And I think a lot of times we hear the word substance abuse, um, but that reframing I think is a, is a vital piece, which, which is what we're gonna focus on today. Thank you, China, for being with us today. Thank you, Liz. And our second guest who we're going to start with is from right here in Northern Utah, 
Tara Cooper. She is an adoptive mother. She is also chair of United for Adoption. That is a local nonprofit that advocates, educates, and is a support for all of those touched by adoption. And Tara is very active um, on social media and has a, a wide network out there. So she she hears from a lot of people and really has her has her uh, eye on the pulse or uh, ear on the pulse, whatever the case may be. Hello, Tara. Hi, thanks for having me. <laughs> as, as an adoptive mother, first of all, which is um, 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 very important, what, what would you like to say, first of all, about why our words carry so much weight when we're talking in the presence of our children who have been adopted, children who may be currently in foster care? That's a really great question. So when I was thinking about this, I found this really amazing quote that kind of encompasses what I was thinking. And it says, words have energy and power with the ability to help, to hinder, to heal, to hurt, to harm, to humiliate, and to humble. And so when you think about all the things that a word can do, we should be really mindful of the words that we choose. We would never want to intentionally hurt anyone, hinder anyone, um, or harm anyone, right? And so if we can change those words to heal someone instead, why wouldn't we try to use those words? Very good. And it starts, again, from identifying the children themselves. Um, Tell me some of your experiences, what you have heard from other parents about uh, why words matter with the kids coming into their care. Right. So um, I'm not in foster care, so China will have to speak to that. But for with adoption, um, not only just with children that are adopted, but I feel like with birth parents, there's a lot of negative words that are used towards birth parents that can be really harmful that I wish more people, you know, would understand the harm um, that would come from those. And with the children, you know, being in adopt or being an adoptee is one part of their story, right? It's not their whole story. And yes, there's trauma that comes with adoption and they will always have that, but it's something that, um, I feel like if it's the only focus and if it's, you blame everything, you know, any of the child's issues on adoption, um, you know, that's not getting the full picture. And I don't want to negate any, you know, trauma when it comes to adoption, but yeah, we need to look at kind of a full picture on the child of, you know, what really is maybe going on in their life. And is it have to do with adoption? Then we can address that. But um, making sure that, you know, we're not, I've just heard a lot of jokes, you know, I'm sure everyone's seen the, the TV shows or the movies that joke about being adopted and that it's a negative thing which my daughter has no um, feelings about it being negative. She loves being adopted. She loves, you know, that it's, that she feels so special, but she also knows that it's hard too. She says it's complicated. So um, I feel like being honest with the, what it is to be adopted and being able to, as an adoptee, I've heard them, they want to be able to express, you know, all of their feelings and um, whether they're good or they're bad, uh, or not bad. I didn't want to say that. See, and I just said that, right. Where it was good and bad, just real emotions. Right. And um, yeah, I'm going to stop there. <laughs> Tara mentioned the birth parents. So let's, uh, let's bring China into this discussion. Um, Liz. 
So China, have we, you know, we, you and I chatted a little bit last week and, and about just how we do represent the parents, the children in care and why it matters. So going back to what Tara said, why it matters, how even just the words we use. I know years ago we used to talk about natural parents. Um, you know, I know that even today there's some concern about the term biological parent, that that kind of framing of a parent in such a way that, that limits maybe their role in, in their child's life. So do you want to talk to that a little bit? Yeah, thanks, Liz. Um, I think at its core, the terms are less problematic as sometimes the labels that we slap on with them. And it becomes the compartmentalizing of I'm going to categorize this as this and this and that as that. And um, at our core, we're just parents. You know, whether you are a foster parent, an adoptive parent, a birth parent, a natural parent, a biological parent, you're a parent first. Just as the kids, we've come to understand that we refer to them as kids, not foster kids. So it's the same type of, of respect. And when you are involved in a child welfare case, it can get dicey because there's many parents, there's many caregivers involved, there's many people who nurture and love this child. And uh, so I think for convenience sake or in court documents, we put the labels on it, but we have to realize the weight that comes with those labels and the, and the legacy that they create in the lives of the children and the families who have been involved with that. Absolutely. Very well said. I remember years ago listening to an interview um, with Noam Chomsky, who's a really you know famous linguist, and he talked about um, that the language we use actually creates structures in our brain that, that dictate how we think about things and mm -hmm. thus how we react and respond to things and, and why it's so vital. And I like what Tara did when she talked about, you know, good and bad emotions. You know, I think a lot of times as we hear ourselves talk that we realize sometimes we say things that we're trying to get away from, but those, those, that language can be so deep embedded in our, our way of thinking and talking that it takes a lot of awareness for us to start to make those changes. And, and that's, I think, what today's conversation is primarily about. It's not about judgment. It's simply about being more aware that the language we use really matters. I think so, that it's about 20 years for um, a change to become complete. And so what we're doing now is creating the language that will be absolutely natural in 20 years. So we're transforming and disrupting how we come at things and not being accepting of the way that it's been and trying to figure out what's more compassionate and fair to everybody involved. So China, just give me an example. If we're just for the foster parents, the adoptive parents, anybody listening in that might just know a family where there's um, um, there's fostering and adoption going on, what are some of the terms that are, are best to use right now? I think that we wanna keep the kids' needs at the forefront. So a lot of times they will dictate, like for instance, um, you know, I'm very often involved in court-involved child welfare cases. And so I'm dealing with the, what the court refers to as birth parents, birth family, and uh, caregivers or foster parents who potentially could be adoptive parents. And so um, one of the things that when I work with families together, I work with everybody involved is to have 
conversations, which you are very brave to have, you know, you have to have a little bit of courage and dig deep because it's not going to be something that you're an expert in because you guys are devising the terms that will be common to you both. And if you can have a consistency around the kids, it makes them much more familiar. Um, one of the bones of contention that sometimes comes up is birth families, um, resenting that sometimes foster parents are called mom and dad. And when you think of it from a kid's perspective, that child is basically saying to that person they're identifying as a parent, I feel safe and loved with you. And there's no need to take that away from any, any child, no matter where they get it from. Um, so I think birth families have to be educated to try and be more compassionate for uh, somebody who is making their child safe and loved when they are not able to do that full time. And uh, the caregivers, the foster parents, the adoptive parents, if it's an open adoption, can be brave with the birth families in terms of I'm going to see them as equals. I'm not going to see them as a power differential, which sometimes get, comes into play because I got the kids. So um, I think if we just kind of sat down and had some good conversations as early as possible into these relationships, we could kind of avoid a lot of foibles that come down the pike. That's great advice. Thank you. And then Tara, I know one of the things you do that, that, that I know I connect with you a lot through is the Facebook group of the positive adoption experiences. And I know this comes up a lot, um, going back to kind of what China said about, you know, because you have, you know, you have all members of the triad on that group. And I know there is conversation sometimes about how people refer to each other. And right. uh, do you want to talk a little bit about, about, about that, the conversations you've sure. Sure. And, and it's going to be a little different than foster care, what she just said. So it was interesting to listen to China and what terms they use. So we teach people that before placement, it's an expectant parent. And that's, again, they haven't had the child yet. So any parent that hasn't had a child would be considered an expectant parent. And that we don't use the term birth parent until after placement. Um, there are some birth parents that don't like that term birth parent because they feel like that their role as the parent only has to do with the birth. So they would prefer either first parent or um, just, you know, parent. Sometimes they just want to be called that. So I think it's just important to have those discussions about what terms that they prefer. Um, and with adoptees, I always go to the, whatever they want, they get to choose because they didn't have a choice in this situation. And so if they want to call their birth parent, their, their mom, they should be able to call the birth parent their mom because again, they didn't have a choice in the matter. Um, my daughter, she, when she was six, we were visiting her birth mom and she actually asked to call her mommy. She wanted to call her mommy when we were there. And at first it, it does, to be very honest, it kind of takes you back a little bit, right? And so she, I, we asked her birth mom if she'd be comfortable with it. And to be honest, she um, was pretty hesitant, but we let my daughter you know, try that that day. Well, what she found out was she was saying mommy, but both of us would turn around and she, it was just confusing because we didn't know who she was talking to. So we're like, why don't you come up with a term 
that, you know, when we're together, we know who you're talking to. And so we actually went back. She's always called her Lala because her name's Lauren, you know, so she just went back to calling her Lala because it was just easier. So I think if I would have made a big deal of it, right. If I'd been like, I'm your mom, how dare you, you know, wanting to call her mom or anything like that, that would have really hurt her. But her being able to try it out, me and her birth mom being able to kind of work through our, you know, um, insecurities, I think was a good lesson. And, um, this year she asked again, why she couldn't call her that because her birth mom, she told her, she's like, I'm just not comfortable with that Lainey. Like, it's just not something that I'm, I'm really comfortable with. And so she respected that and decided, you know, okay, she doesn't want me to call her that. And that's okay. So I think just having that open dialogue, um, helps you work through that. And when you think that a term, you know, isn't like that big of a deal, sometimes it is a big deal for the adoptee or maybe for the birth parent. And just having those discussions is really helpful. So that's with the parent thing. I think there's other terms, um, adoptive parent. I don't go around saying, Hey, I'm, you know, an adoptive parent. I just, I'm her mom. Right. And uh, as China said, you know, on forms or when we're trying to differentiate between two, you would say like adoptive parent, but I, I don't go around saying I'm an adoptive parent. Um, and with adoptees, you know, uh, that's kind of, I think the term that we're using right now and it could change. Right. Uh, but I think that the, the current PC term for someone who is adopted is an adoptee, but again, ask them, maybe they don't want to be called that. Maybe they have a different term they want to be called. Yeah, and Tara, I would also like to kind of say that with substance use disorder, it's not a addict, it's a person with substance use disorder. So the person first, so maybe with adoptee, it becomes a person who's been adopted. Yeah, it's a little bit longer, but it's it's just an ad, instead of it defining them as a person, right, it's, it's an aspect, a facet of who they are. Yeah. And we've been using that term too in my group as well, but a lot of the adoptees just want to use adoptee, right? So it's just kind of, you know, it is easier. And I mean, there is one, I will say there's an easier term for birth mom. Everyone wants to abbreviate that. Right. And I want to put it out there. You don't get to abbreviate birth mom to BM. We all know why (laughs) it's just not a thing to do. If you really need to shorten it, do B M O M. So B mom, like do that. So let's put that out there. We no abbreviating birth mom. No, no BMs. Okay. Thanks. (laughs) Great advice. Yeah. And I think that you, I think both of you brought up such interesting points. Um, One is that kind of that meta communication. So communicating about communicating that a lot of times we don't do, we just allow communication to emerge without explicitly addressing it. And both of you talked about that you asking people, you know, you'll notice that I have my pronouns um, on my, on, on my zoom profile. And, you know, we're currently being certified with all children, all families, um, which is an LGBTQ um, human rights movement, um, both for parents, um, LGBT parents in foster care, as well as the kids in care. And uh, that's one thing they talk quite a bit about is explicitly asking people, what are your pronouns? What do you prefer? How do you identify yourself? And I think it's something that's a new thing for a lot of us because we don't think we don't talk about how we talk about things, I think, as much as we could. And then um, I think one thing that China brought up, which I didn't really thought about is a lot of times these terms probably emerge because we're lazy. You know, it's just so much easier to say, you know, to abbreviate something. And I shouldn't say we're lazy. That's another word that maybe is loaded. But, you know, we, we try to, we, we do talk in, in, in shortcuts. And so we try right. to find ways to, to maybe represent something that's very complicated in a simple way, but unfortunately don't, don't capture the complexity of that. Um, and that would be exhausting all the time to, you know, to always, you know, be representing complexity, but to be aware that, 
that sometimes we do do that. So I think that's a great point both of you have made. And if you're a relatively new foster parent out there and you're just starting to deal with this, you know, you're in the grocery store, you have all these kids and some of them, you know, are biological, some are adoptive, some are, are foster. Um, and someone comes up and says, and I've heard this from a lot of foster parents, um, you know, they're like, wow, you've got a lot of kids and, you know, and they want to know all the details, but all you have to say is they're all my kids. They're all right. my kids. Or just thank, thank you. <laughs> yeah, thank you very much. But it's not, it's not bad to think about that ahead of time and talk with your kids about it. And, you know, um, so that everybody feels comfortable because the more comfortable we can make our friends and our extended family, that's another thing to bring in. You know, right. if you have, uh, you know, um, grandmas and grandpas and they're like, I don't know what to say and how they should refer to me, you know, again, just bring the kids into the discussion and look at it from their standpoint. I think a really good thing to teach people is asking them, why do you ask? So when people ask you those intrusive questions, you know, getting some clarification on, well, why do you ask? And then if it's an inappropriate question, they probably shouldn't be asking you. They realize it pretty quick, right? So if someone, you know, it happens a lot in our transracial adoption community, people come up and they see a black child with a white family and they're like, oh, is your child adopted? And you don't have to answer that, right? It's not really none of their business, how your family's created or your child's story is not theirs to, you know, yours to share. So just ask them, why do you ask? And then, then what do they say? Like, oh, because I'm just, I, I don't know why I'm asking you this, right? Um, I teach a teen pregnancy class in the high schools. And we talk about that with, when you're asking if someone's adopted or asking about well, did your birth mom do drugs? That's a big one, right? Like that they get asked about drug usage. And when you ask, why do you ask, you know, or you're like, well, did your mom do drugs? And they're like, wait, why would you ask me that? And you're like, exactly. Why would you ask me that? So that's a really good tip on if people are asking intrusive questions, just ask them, why do you ask? And another term, another term, and I, I know China is probably um, gets this a lot, you know, we try not to say, the birth mother gave up her child. Oh yeah. No, I didn't give anything up. I made it, a, I made an adoption plan because I could not fathom uh, where I was in my early, early recovery. I couldn't fathom um, a possibility of being able to parent both children without child welfare possibly getting reinvolved with my life. And I already had one child in foster care. I didn't want two. And so I made a plan so that he could have not only all the love that I could provide, but all the resources as well that I was lacking at that point. So, you know, it was a mindful decision, excruciating decision, hardest decision I ever made in my life. Um, at the time, had no idea how it would affect me for the rest of my life and really change the work that I do. But it's become very important to me to represent this from a standpoint of this was a this was a mindful choice that I did out of love for all my children. Um, there's a really good resource out there, um, a tool that Foster Club, which is an organization that uh, helps foster youth who are aging out of uh, the foster care system. 
and the birth and foster parent partnership, which I'm involved in. And it's called strategic sharing. And it was designed specifically for foster for former foster youth um, who were asked to be on panels or speaking and sometimes got real inappropriate questions asked of them. It was how to devise your story so that it empowers you every time you tell it and you have kind of built-in escape hatches if you get cornered into a very uncomfortable or inappropriate line of questioning. And I think the tool was fantastic for uh, families who have made adoption plans either voluntarily or involuntarily uh, in their lives and uh, the parents who adopt those children. Okay, I've got to bring up one more term, and I'm an, ado an adoptive mother, and what what I hear a lot is, oh, he must be so grateful. <laughs> yeah. Aren't they? <laughs> no, and we, we don't expect our children to be grateful no. that, you know, they have this story in their past and that they they did go through the adoption process. Yeah. Right. Um, there's that, there's that. Uh, kind of storyline that because I was a person with substance use disorder and and mental health issues in my in my life in my experience that somehow my child was saved from me mm -hmm. and um, it wasn't that I couldn't be a good parent I went on to be a very excellent parent I just didn't have the capacity in the brief window that I had within child welfare I didn't think I could do that successfully yeah, which which needs to be honored in 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 the conversation and, and in the history of, of that story. Absolutely. And I think going along the same lines is that that term lucky. And I think yeah. those kind of all, you know, oh, years and your kid lucky. And I think that that all goes in this idea of kind of the this, you know, saving children and, you know, when in reality, it's it's much more complicated than that. And creating who's the good guy, who's the bad guy. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. And also the. Oh, sorry. Mentality. Yeah. And also the fitting in. I hear that a lot. And like, she just fits right in with your family. And that one stings a lot to me because I know they mean well, right? Every, everyone usually has really good intentions when they say those things, but really, what does it mean if my child was black? And would you say the same thing? Do they fit right in with your family? She looks just like you. You know, they don't understand that. Like you're actually excluding a lot of families by mm -hmm. saying that term. Um, I'm going to circle back to for the, the place for adoption and give up too. Uh, we talk about this a lot with adoptees. If your adoptee says that they were given up and they're an, either a child or an adult, but that's how they feel, you need to also honor those feelings. Um, we always try to use place because we do want to be more positive um, with those terms. But I've talked to a lot of adult adoptees that said, no, I was given up. Like, they have some pretty tragic, you know, stories. And if that's their truth, that's their truth. So we need to also make sure that we're not correcting adoptees when they use that term, right? Like, oh no, you need to say place. No, they, they can choose, right? That's, that's their story to tell. Um, and also the, the whole grateful adoptee narrative as well. Um, you know, being grateful for trauma is pretty hard to put on someone, right? Like, aren't you just so grateful that you were separated from your family you know, even if they're newborns, a lot of people think, you know, since I did a newborn adoption, my child has no trauma. It's absolutely not true. Um, you know, primal wound is a real thing. And I used to fight against that when we were first adopting probably until year two. 
oh, did I fight against that narrative? You know, like, well, she'll be fine. You know, like she was adopted as a newborn and, and we have an open adoption and we do all these things to, you know, prevent that trauma. And there's, there's absolutely trauma in all adoption and acknowledging it and not making them grateful for it. I think it's a really good step in the right direction. (laughs) Again, to remember, this is a learning experience. So Again, if you're a new foster parent, new adoptive parent, don't be afraid to ask other families um, questions and, um, you know, just let them know that you are learning. Well, we have about two minutes left and let me um, get to China and just say if you have any uh, final closing remarks. Just if you're a new foster parent out there, a new caregiver who's thinking about going down this road, I just urge you to um, allow yourself to be open to conversation and communication with everybody involved. Um, Really listening to what the kids need and what they're saying and how to help them adjust, you know, because they sometimes do feel like they have been taken or given up. And um, sometimes if we dig a little deeper, we find that there's uh, layers of complexity that are difficult for kids to understand depending on their age. So this is a lifelong journey. This is something that you're probably gonna um, be a part of for a while. And we just wanna transform to provide better care to these kids and a more uh, compassionate, mindful response to all the parents involved in this. That's great advice. And once again, the kids, if the kids remain your focus, then everyone involved in the process can agree on that and come together. Well, it's time to wrap this version of fostering conversations up. We want to give, um, A warm thank you to China Darrington of the Birth Parent National Network, who joined us from Ohio, and also Tara Cooper, who's from United Adoption um, from right here in Utah, and my co-host, Liz Rivera, Director of Education for Utah Foster Care. We want to remind people listening that we would love to hear your thoughts on this topic. Give us a review and our feedback online. This has been a great subject And we want everyone out there who's listening to remember that the language we use, not just in this case, but in all cases, should always be a form of respect, understanding, and building relationships. That's it for Fostering Conversations. I'm Deborah Lindner at Utah Foster Care. So long now. This has been Fostering Conversations with Utah Foster Care. Thank you for joining us. For more information, go to utahfostercare.org. We'll see you next time.